A good bean soup can provide protein the body needs and guard against high blood pressure. Thanks to the team at the Women's Bean Project, their bean soup does even more. It is the core of an incredible social enterprise that has lifted up thousands of women by providing stepping stones to self-sufficiency. Powerhouse CEO Tamara Ryan shares how developing skills and providing the dignity of work for marginalized women through the Women's Bean Project transforms lives. On this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and what a gift today to share a conversation with Tamara Ryan, CEO of the Women's Bean Project, a Colorado 501c3 nonprofit organization with the mission to change women's lives by providing stepping stones to self-sufficiency through the opportunity to experience the dignity of work by learning how to get and keep jobs. Since 2003, Tamara has led the Women's Bean Project's strategic direction and is instrumental in putting the organization on the national and international map as a high-performing and impactful social enterprise. Can't wait to talk about that. She is a former board member of Social Venture Partners Denver and chair of the board of directors for the Social Enterprise Alliance. She is on the advisory board for the Graduate School of Social Work at the University of Denver. Then Congress, Colorado Congressman Mike Kaufman recognized Tamara's servant leadership and entered it into the congressional record of the 115th Congress second session in May 2018. In 2017, she was named one of the top 25 most powerful women in Colorado and a Titan 100 CEO in 2022. Wow. She has been a speaker at TEDx Mile High and is the author of The Third Law, a book which highlights the societal obstacles and internal demons that must be overcome for marginalized women to change their lives. The Third Law has won multiple awards for women and minorities in business and social activism. She's currently working on her second book, Followship. Can't wait to hear about that. How to be a leader worth following. Tamara, welcome and thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Jay. For somebody who doesn't know what the Women's Bean Project is, how would you describe it? Well, I would say that we are this funky food manufacturing <laughs> business that um, started in 1989 with one bean soup mix. And today in 2022 has 50 different individual food products that we distribute all across the country. Wow. What makes Women's Bean Project special, though, is the fact that uh, we employ women who have experienced chronic unemployment. So a typical woman we hire hasn't had a job longer than a year in her lifetime, though the average age is 38. They come to wow. work for us for six to nine months and we teach them how to be a part of our business, but also really how to move into mainstream workforce. And so by the time they get really great at being an employee, we let them go off and become somebody else's great employee. That's so it's awesome. a horrible way to run a interesting <laughs> operation in some respects, but an amazing way to, you know, deploy a mission. It is awesome. And Part of the the social enterprise that I love is it, it truly is a business. You know, the customer experience, you have to manage that kind of on both sides, the folks you work with and then the folks you're selling to, you, you know, marketing and production and sales. And, um, you know, I think a lot of nonprofits could benefit from how are you intentional with the business side of this? 
Well, I think of it as we're really running two businesses. We're running a food manufacturing operation and we're running a human services business. And, um, you know, I'm using air quotes here. The product on both sides is very important. Right. And so what that comes down to is what I think about and is a brand promise. And so in, you know, in the uh, for-profit world, that's how, how you often think about it is when somebody mm-hmm. interacts with you as a company or interacts with your products or your services, what is the, the promise that you're making to that customer? And so when I first started in 2003, we thought a lot about that when, because the vast majority of people who end up with our products in their hands, we've never actually had a personal interaction with them. Sure. They've received it as a gift or gotten it at a store in New Jersey or you know sure. something like that. And then also the women who graduate our program go out into the community and there, there is something that being a graduate of women's beam project has to mean something. Right. And so think about what is our brand promise to uh, both the, for both the uh, program and for the business. And, and so we built a, a business and a program operation around that is that what is our um when we say somebody graduated our program as a great employee, what does that mean? And then we build a program to get to that. And when we say we have a great bean soup mix and, you know, bean soup isn't sexy, but <laughs> you know, ultimately we want that to be a high quality product, reliable. We want when somebody gets it in their hands that they want to have it again. Yeah. If you had an okay product, maybe it could last a few years. Right. That's a great product to last 33 years. And th- this is what I find fascinating about this is it truly is a manufacturing business. And if you weren't producing a good quality product and if you weren't producing good quality people, this wouldn't work. Well, it would have worked maybe for a little while, right? Right. <laughs> but certainly not for this long. So, and that's not to say that this is um, a destination, that we got there and right. then all of a sudden we're done. Right. It is absolutely a journey. And for so- sure our ability to continue to be relevant and to continue to have um, great customers is based on our ability to be able to adapt to the environment as the environment changes. Well, I think it also speaks to having an unwavering commitment to quality on both sides. Cause if without that, like you say, you're, you know, you're Johnny come lately, who's here for a year or two years or three, but to do this for a long time, you all have obviously demonstrated a commitment to quality everywhere. Well, and a commitment to, um, I always say we start with the end in mind. So if we ultimately want, yeah, if we ultimately want anything that we do, whether it's the women who graduate our program or the product to have meaning, we've got to define what that meaning is. And then we say, then we build our operations and our product development, all those things, or our program to reach that end. And if I, I think that often is where, you know, we, in, in many respects where we lose sight or we lose our way mm-hmm. is we don't know where we're going. So if right. you don't know where you're going, how will you know if you get there? True. And I, I, that's such great advice for anybody in the nonprofit world is kind of like, what's, what's your vision work back from that. I mean, I know so many people, oh, I'm so passionate about a, B or C, but, it, but yeah, I think you have to be able to do that and say, where are we, where do we want to get, how are we going to work back there? Especially coming off a capital campaign. That's exactly how you kind of have to attack those. Right. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, my job really, um, and I think it took me a while to to 
really understand what my job as CEO is, it really only consists of three things. One is creating a vision for the future and then enlisting people to come along with me. And that's a big part of what the capital campaign was, right? Yep. I'm selling a dream. Right. The second thing is, is bring resources into the organization. And that's in the way of sales or in the right. way of grants and donations, yep. which is sort of related to selling the dream also. Right. Totally. And then the third part is helping other people do their jobs. And so when I, when I simplified it to that level, the selling the dream or creating a vision is really um, probably the, the, the thing I've embraced the most and the thing that comes first. Fantastic. And that's, like I said, really what a capital campaign is. You know, True. there's got to be a reason why you're doing a capital campaign to create something better for your organization. And ultimately, that's what donors invest in. You know, it, the, a building is just a building. Right. But it's what the building allows you to do and how it allows you to fulfill a dream that you have um, and that people have bought into. And I, you know, I hope everybody's paying close attention because this is a valuable lesson that presenting a vision and walking hand in hand with people that are going to support you uh, is, is so key. It's not, Oh my gosh, we need this. We need that. It's help us make dreams come true. And that's obviously what, what's carried this campaign to success. But for the women that you serve, I mean, you've been there for a few, a few days now for the women you serve, how, how difficult is it for them to actually reach out and go, I really, I need your help. I would say that we are not the first place someone comes necessarily. Mm -hmm. We are often the place that someone comes when they've tried other things or they've tried doing it on their own or the next time they go back to prison, they might go back for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So it, it, it's not it. We're a place that someone comes when they their other choices are exhausted for the most part. And that's reflected in our average age because mm -hmm. one of our criteria right. is typically she wouldn't have had a job longer than a year in her lifetime, wow. though the average age is 38. Think of that. So, yeah. And so that's that. what that represents is long histories of addiction and incarceration right. and domestic violence, typically, yeah. and a whole bunch of things that have told her, whether implicitly or explicitly, that she's not worthy, that she's not mm -hmm. valued. And so that's so we get women who arrive, we hire women who arrive not feeling those things, having that sense of self-worth mm -hmm. and what we're working on doing through a whole bunch of activities is helping them believe they're worthy of having a better life and what that better life, what facilitates that better life is a job yep. and, and the confidence to have what we call a career entry level job. So it's probably going to be different than any job she's ever had. It's not just at the counter at a fast food restaurant where if she isn't right. there, somebody else will fill her spot. Right. It's really a job that's going to have an opportunity for advancement and benefits and where the employer is her partner in, in her career. Right. Well, and talk about, I love the word that you used hire and it's really what you guys do. I, I love the part where when people are, the, the women are there, they're paid. If they're taking classes, if they're doing production or whatever, they're paid. So talk to us a little bit about what that looks like. Well, when someone comes into our program, they're actually they are hired for a transitional job. So it's a full time job. It's 36 hours a week. They work eight to four thirty 
Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and eight to one on Wednesdays. We give them Wednesday afternoons off to take care of appointments and things Mm -hmm. that would otherwise get in the way of their uh, being able to come to work. so they, it's a full-time job. 70% of their paid time is going to be spent working in the business in some way. So on the production line, maybe in the shipping department, right. maybe at our front desk or our retail store. Mm-hmm. And then 30% of their paid time is in program activities. So there's a whole program curriculum that the women go through that works on uh, basic life skills, that, but that include things like financial literacy and um, reading and math skills awesome. and computer skills. And maybe even more importantly, work on understanding trauma and understanding mm-hmm. how that affects our health long term, understanding what our triggers are for past trauma, um, understanding what triggers are for relapse. So there's a whole psychosocial aspect to the program activities, as well as sort of adulting kinds of things that they'll use, both of which they'll use extensively when they leave us. And that's so awesome to think of they're getting paid. So they, they're learning that responsibility of working, but at the same time, there are all this other support is happening and they're getting paid for that too. That's, that's incredible. So that must be a big part of the stuff that you have to go out and raise support for and everything else. Yeah. The program activity. So we think about it as the bean job. That's when they're working in the, the food manufacturing business and the U job, the YOU job. So Uh, we fundraise to support the U job. I love that. So that's the wages that they're paid while they're in program activities, the cost of uh, the program activities themselves, bringing people in. Um, So all the things that are related to the program time, which is that 30% of their time is comes from fundraising. The food manufacturing business is uh, pays for itself and generates a small uh, profit, but not that's very awesome. much, uh, you know, food, it, the, they cover the cost. That's yeah. Food notoriously has fairly low margin. So yep. it's, um, in my next life, I'll, you know, find <laughs> some sort of business where there it's a huge cash cow product, but, um, that's, that wouldn't be food. No. So since you've been with the organization since 03, what are, what have been the biggest changes that you've seen? I mean, think of how technology has changed since then, the, the people that you serve, what have, what has been the big, biggest evolution that you've seen in your time? Well, gosh, so much has happened. And, uh, you know, we've been through in my tenure, we've been through a recession. We've yep. been through super low unemployment. We've been mm-hmm. through a pandemic uh, and we've really multiple times had to adjust programmatically because when when. During a recession, when unemployment, I think maybe at its peak was about 9% in in Denver, it wasn't hard to find women to be part of the program. We had a line out the door when we were hiring. Um, And so what then would happen is uh, the, the women who were hired were probably a little closer to being able to maybe needed fewer services in the, you know, though we didn't realize it at the time, Uh maybe we were kind of creaming at the time. We didn't, you know, you don't know it when you're in it. And then when the unemployment's 2.6%, I think was the the lowest point, then what you're really finding in people who are chronically unemployed is people who really have a ton of barriers that they need to overcome. Mm. And what we've seen is through the pandemic is similar characteristics. And what we're seeing now is 
that the women we're hiring have a whole bunch of barriers to just personal readiness. So before they can even start working on job readiness, we have a whole bunch of things we've got to help them with related to health and sobriety and housing and a whole bunch of things that get in the way of even being able to come to yeah. work at Women's Beam Project. Right. And that's I'm I'm seeing just the need has shifted really dramatically. And who we're hiring today uh, are women who really, if not for Women's Beam Project, would probably or a program like ours would probably never move into mainstream employment. Wow. Think of that. So it's probably that you part of the job that, that is evolving all the time. Exactly. And our business certainly has had to evolve uh, because, you know, how people were eating in 1989 mm -hmm. compared to 2022 right. is different. And so we've right. introduced new products through the years to be more relevant in the, you know, in the grocery and in the food marketplace. And that's, you know, a also a fun thing to be able to adapt to how people right. are eating today. Um, but the more sobering thing is really to adapt to what's happening socially in our community. Mm. And I kind of, I think about it as I come to work every day, trying to make sure that our services are so effective and far reaching that each woman who comes to us is the last in her family to need us. Because uh, wouldn't it be awesome if that would be awesome. we really, we, there were no more chronically unemployed women in Denver yeah. and we had to do something crazy like hire men or, you know, <laughs> move to Cincinnati. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that's, I think what we should you know, ultimately do is we should come to work every day trying to put ourselves out of business. That's that's a great um, every, again, every great nonprofit I've encountered has that mindset. It's like, oh, it, success for us would be as if we didn't have to be here. And, mm -hmm. you know, the likelihood of that happening is not. But to have that vision is awesome. So you've been with the organization almost 20 years now. What what is it that keeps you energized? It is that vision. It is the um, knowing that, well, the, the nice thing about having a long tenure is I get to see women who graduated 10 plus years ago. Yeah. And I get to see that perhaps their children who were very young when they came to the Women's Bean Project will never know a time when their mom wasn't employed. Wow. When their mom wasn't able to support them. How's that for and, success? Yeah, to me, that's that's what keeps me here. That I get yeah. to meet the women and I get to witness this transformation. I mean, and we're in our lifetime, we're really lucky if we do work in the community, whether it's uh, for a job or for volunteering, but you actually get to see the impact. And I get to meet the women we hire on their first day when maybe they don't really know what this place is going to be like or what it might hold in store for them. And maybe right. they're kind of skeptical. Mm -hmm. And then over a period of six to nine months, which frankly is not that long, they literally blossom into these amazing women. That's what's kept me here because I get to see that over and over and over again. Do you have any, this is not a fair question. I'll ask anyways. Do you have any great success stories over the years that really are memorable or stand out? Well, I think the greatest success stories are about women who, uh, you know, if you just looked at her story on paper, you'd say there's, I don't see how she, you know, turns her <laughs> life around. Um, and then they do. 
you know, I think the the I often say the bane of human services is free will, right? Because we can bring to yeah. bear all these resources, and ultimately, mm-hmm. every person has the choice to make for themselves. Yeah. But I think about um, a woman like Selena, who was 21 when she came to us. So you know, really quite young mm-hmm. uh, relative to some of the other women we hired. When she was 12, her mom introduced her to cocaine. Oh, when she was 13, her mom kicked her out of the house because she uh, thought that Selena was competition for boyfriends. And uh, so from 13 geez. to 18, she lived on the streets and was hanging out with people who you know, sort of uh, manipulated her to be their front person for selling drugs and using. So she also dropped out of school, of course. And yeah. she, at 13, she wasn't old enough to work. So she didn't really have a lot of choices. Finally, when she was 18, she was arrested. And that was probably the best thing that could have happened because that gave her the opportunity to um, work through the criminal justice system and be kind of protected in that Mm -hmm. environment. When she did that, she was involved with the justice system for three years. And at 21, her pastor referred her to the Bean Project. And so while she was here, she... Uh, was in and got out of a domestic violence um, situation. Um, she got housing. She, when she graduated, she started at an adult high school because she had a third grade reading level. Wow. And so she um, got her G, worked toward and got her GED. She got a job at a local grocery store and she learned how to count change. I mean, she really just literally blossomed and developed all these skills. Wow. And she was just like a sponge. And what I think was amazing about her is that, you know, having spent from 13 to 18 on the streets and not really learning maybe the skills that she needed to address stress or Uh things like that without using the fact that she could, that she could do that. And she had the wherewithal to create a life, I think is just so amazing. So today she's, Gosh, that's probably been close to 10 years ago. Wow. Now she lives, she's married. She lives in North Dakota. She has a daughter and her, um, she has two jobs, but her um, second job is going into a local prison and doing um, really counseling for women who are in prison. It's paying it forward. Yeah. And it was really just really so lovely. A few years ago, we had an opportunity to for Weight Watchers magazine. They wanted to talk to a graduate. And so we asked if she wanted to do it. And they took this fantastic picture of her and her daughter. And when that magazine came out, that issue of the magazine came out, um, she sent me flowers to thank me for the opportunity. And when I called her to to um, say thank you, she said, you know, my dad said when I was little, I could never be a model. And uh, look at me now I'm in a magazine. Oh, my gosh, what a great success story. So it's interesting. People like that must be your best, your greatest ambassadors, you know, out in the community is a, is a lot of word of mouth that brings people, you know, like say, oh, well, her pastor recommended, well, how did the pastor hear about you guys? You know, how are you, how are you doing that outreach to, to bring folks in? The number one referral source is someone else who's been in the program. Yeah. So for sure, that is uh, a really strong and that comes from 33 years. Right. And having served multiple generations of the same family, uh, we also work with other programs. So you know, typically when a woman comes to us, she's receiving other services. So she might be living in subsidized housing at that time or a shelter. Mm-hmm. She might be in a sober living facility. Her parole officer might refer her the halfway house where she's staying might 
center. Sometimes judges send women to us. So it's a pretty wide variety of different ways. Yeah. And then uh, you know, we'll be moving in a, in just a couple of weeks. Um, we're, uh, when we're recording this, we're at the end of June. In yeah. July of 2022, Women's Green Project's moving to a new location and a new so neighborhood. Exciting. So yeah. we'll be drawing from that neighborhood, I think, pretty extensively. Terrific. And again, you know, sustained success, great reputation. It all just kind of builds on itself. So throughout this time and and throughout your career, what would you say have really been bedrock leadership principles for you? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. That is a loaded question, isn't it? I think the first thing is really understanding what my job is as a leader of this organization. The things I talked about before, that it really consists of just three things. Right. And I also have really needed to learn that um, that I don't need to have the answers, that I am better when I ask questions. And it's really tempting when somebody comes to you with a problem. It's so tempting as a leader to want to say, well, here's what I think you should yeah, do, because right. that's what they're, they're, yeah, what they're there for. Yeah. And they're putting you kind of in that position. Right. But I am a better leader when I ask questions about, uh, uh, you know, regard, depending on what the situation is, but uh, I ask questions about what problem is it we're trying to solve? What, you know, and ultimately help someone who has a problem maybe come up with their own solution or and and serve in more of a coaching role. And I will say that's it's really tempting to just spout sure, off. The of answer. course it is. Um, or the, you know, the solution or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a takes a lot more discipline to ask questions. Well, and I consider myself kind of a student of leadership. So I'm, I hope that I'm not stealing the thunder from your new book. That's going to come out hopefully soon. Um, and hopefully that was a sneak peek to um, your new book. That's going to be coming out fellowship, right? Yeah, it is. And it's also, I think we have a crisis of leadership in our country right now that we have very little faith in leaders and um and we have this sort of the old school leaders who are about command and control right like Mm -hmm. um here's what i say that everybody needs to come along you know you tow the line or and you know i came up in that kind of environment Mm -hmm. and and i think that that regardless of one's age or one's generation, that doesn't resonate with us anymore. And and instead, I think I've thought a lot about what makes people want to be there and follow a leader. And that's why I'm I'm calling the book Followship is because I I think there's a lot written about leadership and a little bit written about followership. But there's really not a lot written about what inspires people to be there. like Because one thing I know for sure is if you're a leader and you turn around and there's nobody there, you're not actually leading. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so that's the, the, the reason I decided to write this book is I, I want to talk about the essence of what makes people inspired and right. want to be oh, there. Oh, I can't wait. That's fantastic. Well, okay. what I've learned in the process of writing books is um, – as the as the author, you also can't wait because that would mean it's done. Yeah, geez. <laughs> They're like having children. That's what all my author friends have said. Yeah. So I like to, to change gears. I like to finish with what I call the fab four. The first is what's something you will read, listen to, or watch today? Oh gosh. Well, um 
one of the things that I've been watching is a, a YouTube series with Emmanuel Acho, um, Uncomfortable Conversations yep. with a Black Man. Yep. And um, so if if I were to have time, I would be inclined to watch another one of his Those videos. Those are really good, aren't they? Yes, they are and, and um, have been really um, helpful to me. I don't know about you. I've watched several of those and you sit there and go, Ooh, I am that, I am that guy. Yes. And I just appreciate his willingness to point it out. Right. So who, if you could point to somebody who's been a role model to you in your career to work uh, with the women's beans project, who, who might that be? I hate to do this, uh, somebody that's sort of, that's not sort of in, in my direct circle, but I um, I have to say Michelle Obama is somebody that I've admired because of her ability, at least her public persona of taking the high road. And I've had a number, especially in the last couple of years, a number of situations where uh I've we're taking the high road has been an essential part of my response. And um, what I've learned in that process is that if someone's a jerk, it's going to become apparent. I don't need to point it out. (laughs) Everybody's going to see it eventually, but ultimately taking the high road and focusing on what is, you know, my purpose um, is, is going to be the right answer. So, and I feel as though she personifies that at least her, as I said, her public persona. That is an awesome response. So other than Women's Bean Project, is there an organization out there that you really admire doing great work? You know, I think uh, Heather Lafferty at Habitat for Humanity um, does great work and does they, they do a lot of things that I don't think they're known for. And I think that, and that's pretty amazing. And so they kind of, they definitely don't fly under the radar. I think they're, um, they're, they're well known. And yet at the same time, I think there's a lot of things that they do that people don't realize, you know, they have a mortgage company and, you know, they have, they make a lot of money in their restores where they're selling, you know, used building materials. I just think that they do really great work and um, a lot of things that most people don't realize. Wow. Okay. Last one. If someone wants to learn more about the Beam Project, how they can support you, um, learn more, how do they find you? Womensbeanproject.com. We will put that in the show notes. Hopefully, we will see fellowship soon. I don't want to put any pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, you're under enough, but um, you know, as a girl dad, my wife's a a strong professional person. I'm grateful to be able to spend time with a with a strong woman leader. Uh, Tamara, thank you so much for being here today. Hold on one second. Cheers for continued success. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Check the show notes for contact information and how you can support Tamara and the Women's Bean Project. If you enjoyed the conversation, we'd be grateful if you would leave a review and subscribe. If you're interested in how I might be able to bolster your efforts and help you achieve your goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.